The time is upon us. Black History Month is here. Happy Black History Month. We going big brain today. The Griff Report starts right now. Two, one, boom. Hotep Jesus. Of all the Jesuses I know, he's the Hotepiest. Social scientist and YouTube host, Hotep Jesus. How the fuck do you get a name like Hotep Jesus? The one and only Hotep Jesus. Ryan Sharp, better known to the world as Hotep Jesus. Hotep Jesus. Hotep Jesus. Hotep, Hotep, Hotep Jesus. Hotep, you're a genius. Hotepjesus.com. Somebody said... What do you think you are? Some kind of Hotep Jesus? Ooh, yeah, that's that was good. Just like, ooh, that's <laughs> sexy. Yes, I do think I'm Hotep Jesus. Good afternoon, Hoteps. Welcome to the Griff Report live Monday through Friday, 2 p.m. I'm your host, the Griff God. Hotep Jesus. Hotep Jesus. Hotep, Hotep, G- Hotep Jesus. Hotep, you're a genius. Hotepjesus.com. Oh, this is a real hotel, brother. Hotep to the chat. Hotep to my hotel is Stanis. Hotep. Got some, some really cool promo materials coming up around the bend. Pause. Just in case. <clears throat> Can't wait to show that to you. Just, just a little bit of hotel is Stan artwork. As you know, Hotepistan is going to start virtually before it starts in the real world. We're starting off in the world of cryptocurrency, thanks to SuperDap created by Syscoin. Shout out to Syscoin, the Medici family behind Hotep Jesus. Shout out to all my brothers over there and sisters, if there are any in the corporation. Um, Crypto Wendy O being one of them. But we're going to start to pull our resources together in the world of cryptocurrency where it's safe from government oversight and uh, make a little money. You know, a lot of you um, pay me uh, or donate to me on locals or other platforms to gain access to me. Now it's time for Hotepistan to pay you for getting uh, access to me. The bigger this thing grows, the more money we make. Join the Telegram. The link is in the description box below. Go hit that Telegram. Join it. Uh, not for brokies. If you're broke and or you're just retarded and don't know how to use cryptocurrency, then you're not welcome. <laughs> I know some of you are crypto challenged. If you need help, we'll walk you through it. In the Telegram, join and we'll walk you through it. It's not that hard. I gotta be honest with you. If you know how to use an iPhone, you should be able to crypto. Um, so I, I uh, had a little bit of trouble this morning trying to figure out what to do for today's stream. And uh, I settled on Black History Month, the good, the bad, the psyop. And I made a couple of notes and. You know me. I don't know exactly where my mind may lead me, what what happens in this stream, but I think we have a sufficient start. So with that being said, let's go ahead and uh, put this up on your screen so you can see what today's stream is all about. Ironic that this came in just minutes ago. This tweet came in, which really encompasses Black History Month. So uh, this account, Mulatto Tribe, 
says, how can you not be proud of your ancestors having a whole month of dedication to the struggle they went through? Let the games of truth and lies begin. Truth versus lies begin. Now, this part right here is the part I have an issue with. The struggle. The struggle. Shout out to the Hoteps in the chat. Strong Dad, I see you. Goldstein, Rudy, Hotep Federales, I see you. Jerome, Dr. Feels Good. Montoya, I see you. Heather, what up? Shout out to my people over on Rumble. Rumble functioning? Good, good, good. Shahan, what up, man? Shout out to Shahan. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Um, Okay, so this comes back to something I've said for a while, uh, maybe in my Ali Shakur days, but I said um, Black History Month is really White History Month. That's one of my uh, famous phrases. And the other one was um, Black History Month does not start at slavery. Nice to have this really cool T-shirt. I had somebody design it. It was basically the African continent uh, in words. And the words spelled out um, Black History does not begin with slavery. But the words were in the shape of Africa. Basically saying if we're going to talk about Black History, we have to talk about the genesis of black people. And a lot of people don't want to do that. We have um, ADOS, FBA, Freedmen, and a bunch of different other organizations of um, native black Americans who seek to differentiate themselves from Africa and the, and the, and the rest of the diaspora. Um, Whereas uh, an intellectual like myself chooses not to. I believe we are all one people. Um, if you want to zoom out some more, when we when I say we are all one people, that would mean all lives matter, including white lives, Asian lives, Arab lives, etc., etc. But staying on the topic of black history, let's just say all black lives matter. Okay. So coming back to my premise of Black History Month is really White History Month. It comes back to this right here. The struggle. Now, in case you don't know, Black History Month starts out with uh, Black History Week, which was, I believe, started by a gentleman by the name of Carter G. Woodson. And then later on, it would become uh, something nationally recognized. Um, and become a full month. And I think that's where this PSYOP begins. Once Black History Week turns into Black History Month, I believe that's where this PSYOP takes over. Now, for a while, I was very much against um, Black History Month. I hated it. I, I thought it was stupid. Um, uh, mostly because why concentrate all your studies to one month when as a people, you should be studying who you are year round. And then the other one has to do with the struggle. Um, since then, as I've matured, I'm starting to see the Black History Month thing as maybe net zero. Not really sure. Maybe net positive. You know, 
as a whole, it's probably net zero. Um, if we dove deeper, it's probably a net negative for the world. Black History Month is probably a net negative for the world. Um, mostly because it stirs up division. Uh, wow, just had another profound thought about this. So uh, something we have to cover today. Where's my where's my notes? Let me write this down. Uh, integration. You know, when other groups of people have uh, their holy days or their days of recognition, it's usually not nationally recognized unless for the purpose of division. And that's why I say for the world, Black History Month might be a net negative for black people. It might be a net positive at the individual level. It could be a net positive or could be a net negative. But for the world, I would say Black History Month is probably a net negative. And that's what I'm going to attempt to stratify during um, this stream. So coming back to this term integration, which we'll dive into um, more deeply later. When something becomes nationally recognized, this is where integration comes in. We are being integrated or amalgamated into the greater society when really Black History Month could be something exclusive to the black community. You could also make this argument for Kwanzaa. You could say Kwanzaa being nationally recognized could become a net negative. And we've actually seen that, right? When it comes around to um, Kwanzaa, what happens? The white conservatives or the red whites or the grifters, I should really say the grifter class loses their mind. And, uh, you know, they begin to dissect why Kwanzaa is bad, et cetera, et cetera, although it has nothing to do with them. But again, when something becomes nationally recognized, this is where you have uh, an attempt at division. And it doesn't exactly have to be this way. So let's come back to the premise of the struggle. OK. My issue, my main issue with black history is it's always in juxtaposition to white people, which is why I say black history is really white history and black history is the result of white history. Right. So basically what happens is history is taught and it's taught from a Eurocentric perspective. It's taught from the perspective of white people. The um, the victor gets to tell the tale. So it's not uh, surprising that history has omitted the uh, contributions of black people to the greater society. Morally, it's probably the wrong thing to do. Strategically, it's the right thing to do. I believe it was Napoleon that said he wanted to. Uh, basically create amnesia for black people, completely erase their memory of their past. And I think white people or the European powers that be have done a great job of separating black people from their past, 
separating black people from their memory. Um, and, and this is the issue we have now where you have a lost people, a lost people in search of their identity. That's really what the biggest problem of black people is a lost people in search of their identity. Um, my hat goes out to the European powers of conquest because uh, you'd be hard pressed to find a black person in America whose primary language is not English. And uh, anytime you want to conquer a people, uh, you know, you replace their gods and you replace their language, you replace their religion and you replace their language with yours. And then they are de facto your people now. So we are de facto black Europeans. That's pretty much what we are. We're black Europeans um, because um, we don't have our own language. And in order to be a people, you need your own language. <clears throat> this comes back to um, the power of China, um, the power of Russia, uh, the power of the Arab, Arab world and the power of Jewish people. And we're going to get into Jewish people a little bit later. Um, but I think one of the um, things that lends power to Jewish power is um, Yiddish, having their own language. Um, another thing that lends to Jewish power um, is being insulated they insulate themselves. And, and this has been a frustration of the white European for centuries of how uh, some of the Jewish tribes, because not all Jewish people operate like this, but some of the original Jewish tribes, oh, did I save it? I can show you an example of this, where they exempt themselves of, damn, I didn't save it. I can probably find it. What is it called? Rocket Mortgage? I think it's Rocket Mortgage. And I think, uh, who was this that posted this earlier? Uh, yeah, Harrison H. Smith, right? So Harrison H. Smith basically says here, am I missing something here or do Jews get interest-free home loans from Rocket Mortgage? Um, another example of Jews being exempt from the European uh, way of life or the British Empire's way of life um, or the Babylonian way of life if we're coming from Jonah's perspective the Hittites then um, another example we can look at is um, prohibition during prohibition Jews were exempt from many of the alcohol laws because of their religion so that's why I said two things that mean much to people. Number one is religion. Number two is their language. Um, you also have the issue now in America where they're re removing religious exemptions. Um, uh, we talked about this on Monday uh, with our interview with the attorney, Brian Festa. And uh, Maine is one of those states removing religious exemptions. So destabilizing the power of your God. And then again, coming back to language. So let's go back. Here we are. Okay. So because black people have been separated from their religion and separated from their language, the goal then 
of the powers that be is to keep them separated and then to amalgamate or assimilate into said culture. Which brings me to my next point. Let's pull it up here. Hold on. Or um, I hate when that happens. Sorry. So here uh, somebody responds to um, my earlier post on X where I said people think DEI is about black people and really it's about white women like Taylor Swift. This person responded with DEI is reparations for black and the rainbow people. And then I um, added a bit of context here and said DEI is the destruction of black self-organization. Black History Month, in part, is the destruction of black self-organization, DEI too. So DEI basically says, following the paper I showed you before that led to uh, uh, when we went over the uh, National Security Council paper on basically saying the blacks are uniting. We have to provide them a leader. We have to basically co-opt their movement. So. DEI comes in and says, listen, in order to stop the rise of a black messiah, in order to stop the rise of black self-organization, what we need to do is make them assimilate into our ways and our culture. And then they will think like us and they would be like us. And you would de facto become an American, which is not exactly a good thing, depending on how you look at it. And I'm thinking about it from the habits of the American, the cultural habits, the economic habits, the diet habits, the daily habits, the educational habits, et cetera, et cetera. So black people don't build your own universities. Come to ours. Black people don't build your own corporations. Come to ours. And that way you never have a rise of any black organization. Now, could this be said about white organizations? And that's why I think um, the concept of white supremacy begins to fall apart uh, because white organization is also not allowed. Anytime you have any whites begin to uh, organize um, in any manner that uh, resembles common sense, it will be um, discredited, right? To say the least. Um, militarily, it will be neutralized, okay? Uh, we saw this with um, Waco and other instances of self-organization amongst white people, all right? So now, let's come back. So DEI basically says, black people sit at my table, don't build your own. Black History Month does somewhat the same. Now, how does it somewhat do the same? Well, really what they do is they first have to provide a new leader, right? So as you see on my thumbnail there, MLK is their brand. That's the brand they give us, right? The next thing you'll probably get is X. You get Malcolm X. Now, Malcolm X is a very interesting individual, and I'm basing this solely on his uh, autobiography, but um, 
Malcolm X is someone who I'm not that quite fond of, to be honest with you. Um, I don't think he was that smart. However, I think he was extremely charismatic. And I think that's the allure of ML of Malcolm X. He was extremely charismatic. Um, and I think one of the greatest things I've, I've seen him do, uh, from his autobiography is, um, his ability to gather a following. I mean, uh, when a nation of Islam was rising in this nation and they sent X to go out or El Haj Malik Shabazz, and they sent him to go out, I mean, he was launching mosques all around the board. But when it came to the end of his life, um, I don't think he was thinking with his noggin. His wife, uh, in some instances, may agree. Um, I think he was brilliant, but I don't think he made the right decisions at the end. And I think it's because he was, he was more heart than brain. He was more heart than brain. And I'm not saying that to say that's bad. I just think he was more heart than brain. And I just wish he had a little bit more balance, uh, so he could have a longer life because the celebration of X is celebrating somebody who was premature. Malcolm X, his life ended really early, really, really early, uh, where we hadn't even gotten a chance to see him mature, to really begin to do, quote unquote, God's work, Allah's work or whatever. And I think uh, this comes back to how we handled the situation between the nation of Islam, um, the JFK comment, and um, speaking to the media. So this is why I think, you know, so uh, obviously many of us uh, um, are aware of the cooperation between intelligence agencies and uh, allegedly the Nation of Islam to organize the murder of Malcolm X. And um, that might not have been necessary had X heeded the warnings. You know, Elijah Muhammad told him, be careful when you go into that interview. And me, you know, if I were to think like an ultra black nationalist, right? For example, I'm gonna show you what I mean with my own life. Uh, right around the time that DeRay McKesson was at the height of Black Lives Matter, I was invited to an interview. And um, when I got to the interview, I immediately sensed that what they wanted me to do was throw DeRay McKesson under the bus and um, criticize BLM, okay? And um, I noticed that in this instance, they weren't exactly interested in the intellectual thoughts that I harbor. So I did not capitulate. I did not. Um, I didn't go along with the program. I chose not to say bad things about DeRay, even though I could, because it was a white audience 
that basically wanted to watch a black man tear down other black people. So basically they bring me on, you're the black voice, tear down black people so we can sit back and laugh at the dysfunction of the black community. And um, I didn't, I didn't fall for that trap. I remember one time I was uh, invited to um, an interview with Milo, uh, I forget, Milo Yiannopoulos or something like that. And uh, I, I took the interview and uh, he put some bait out there for me and he was quite frustrated. I never took the bait. But one of the pieces of debate was um, he wanted me to castigate Candace Owens. And I had nothing but positive things to say, because, again, when I go on a platform and you want to interview me, interview me. Don't bring me on here to talk shit about other black people. Now, in that interview, uh, Malcolm X was not talking shit about other black people, but he um, put his nose in white people's business, which, again, as an ultra black nationalist, you never interrupt your enemy while they're making mistakes. So I think the issue with Malcolm X is the, the final interview that some people purport. Uh, <clears throat> and of course, hindsight is twenty twenty. You know, he, he doesn't have any examples to go off of. I have the example of him. So hindsight is twenty twenty. So therefore, I'm able to build off of X. But I think he made a mistake going out there and being so interested in talking to the media talking to the media let's talk to the media fuck the media you had your pulpit say what you want on your pulpit say what you want to your people you didn't have to take these interviews from white people and for some reason and i don't know why but he wanted to take that right so anyway so they, they what they did was they gave us mlk and then they gave us a premature man in x again premature man meaning he was getting more and more enlightened and they eliminated him before his enlightenment, just like they eliminated, ML, uh, eliminated MLK or neutralized MLK before his enlightenment. So what they did was they gave us figures who were premature. This is a college level discourse um, lecture you're receiving right now. This is Harvard level discourse you're receiving right now. Rhetoric lecture from Professor Hotep Jesus. I wish all the black people were as smart as Hotep Jesus. And I wish all the white people were as smart as Hotep Jesus. And I wish all the Hispanics were as smart as Hotep Jesus. Because that guy, he, he really gets it. He knows how to boil it down. Another leader they gave us that was premature is... Um, Huey P. Newton. Huey P. Newton. How old was Huey P. Newton when he died? Um, now, the Black Panther Party as a whole were kids. They were kids. Actually, it's not Huey P. Who was the other Black Panther? Um, it's not Huey. Um, I'm drawing a blank here. So Huey dies at the age of 47. Nah, he's not the one I'm thinking of. Chat, who's the other brother I'm thinking of? Fred Hampton. Thank you. Fred Hampton. My bad. That's why I love y'all. So we got Fred Hampton, and Fred Hampton is a leader, and he dies at the age of 21. Again, 
premature enlightenment. So although these people were great in their own right and great for what they were doing at the time, what we are getting is incomplete stories and incomplete men. So again, what we're dealing with are premature leaders. Premature leaders. This is profound. This is profound, profound enlightenment I'm giving, giving you right here. Not even 30. Yeah, not even 30 years old. Okay. Um, who was the other one? Bobby Seale. How old was Bobby Seale? Bobby Seale was, oh, Bobby Seale lived to 87. Okay. But Fred Hampton was the one I was thinking about. Um, Steph Colonel said, good looking on a promo code in the newsletter this morning. Got two Apex and one flow. But it's like I got the flow for free. I'm going to go in and adjust your, uh, I'm going to go in and adjust your, um, your membership. Don't worry. I'm going to take care of your pricing. Steph Colonel, you're going to, you're going to pay, uh, you're going to get the family discount. I go in there. And, and so next month you'll see it on your, on your bill. So what we're dealing with again is black history month led by premature men and not premature because they were premature, but premature because they were clipped before maturity. X was clipped before maturity. MLK was clipped before maturity. Huey P. Newton was clipped before maturity. The other thing is they give us the Black Panther Party and they and they uphold these this group for a very particular reason. And then they don't talk about other groups like the Bloods and Crips. What they did was they demonized those groups, although they were quite similar and they were spinoffs of the Black Panther Party. But they talk about the Black Panther Party for a very specific reason. And um, let me see if I can find it on this page here. Right here. And um, so this paragraph here says the initial targets included the Southern Christian Leadership Conference. Da, 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 as um, so this is talking about COINTELPRO. And it says, as FBI Director William Sullivan later testified in front of the church committee, the Bureau did not differentiate between Soviet spies and suspected communists in black nationalist movements. So the reason why I believe that they popped this up is because these people were communists. The Black Panther Party was following communism. And at the time, you can't really blame them because communism is this rather new concept to many. And it's sold as this tool of freedom so again hindsight is 2020 if you put me back in those days i'm probably a black panther communist you know um but again hindsight is 2020 so the fact that these people are communists what they can do is they can say hey remember the black panther party and then move the conversation to this is why black people need to be communists okay so again premature and misled ideology. All right. Now let's go back. I'm going to keep this on the screen so you keep this in focus because this is about self organization. Now, Black History Month again comes back to. Hold on, that's the wrong one for what I'm about to say comes back to the struggle 
this struggle. <clears throat> and so that always is going to juxtaposition you to white people. To white people. Okay. Uh, now, where's my phone? Because I started a list on my phone and I'd love to collaborate with you all and uh, help me complete this list. What I wanted to do was I wanted to lay out a list of black people who have reached maturity, maturity, and um, had prolific things to say about history or uh, in some ways contributed to our society that we don't know about, okay? So actually, let me make that segue there because I think I did a good job of exhausting the subject of black leadership that we're given. And so I think by looking at the black leadership we were given, and then let's talk about the black leadership that we can look at or black people we should look at. So the first name I'm going to pop in here is let's go to wiki and I want to type in here. Hold on. I want to type in right here. Henrietta Lacks, right? Um, so Henrietta Lacks is known for HeLa cells, okay? And uh, many people will tell you about, I probably should have got Tanina weighing on this, but um, these are stem cells um, that were resistant to many diseases, et cetera, et cetera, that science has gone and used and um, royalties to her family, I think are still in limbo or may have been paid out. I forget how that story ends. Um, but again, I, I'm not, I didn't want to come here and do a bio on every person. I just want to put these, these names on the map so that when I take names away from you, I'm replacing them with something, right? So I want you all to go down the rabbit hole of um, Henrietta Lacks. And it says, uh, African-American woman whose cancer cells are the source of the HeLa cell line, the first immortalized human cell line and one of the most important cell lines in medical research. An immortalized cell line reproduces indefinitely under specific conditions. And HeLa cell line continues to be a source of invaluable medical data to the present day. Um, something that should be discussed more. The next name I'm going to pull out the hat is right here. Here we go. This is uh, Kamea, Kamea, or some of you may know Dragon Ball Z Kamehameha. Okay. And this is a black individual. And the reason why I think this person is important is because we have to begin to repair the memory of black people. And the memory of black people has been severely lost. Uh, we are in a state of amnesia. And um, this is a kingdom, king of the Hawaiian Islands. This is 1795 to 1819. So when we talk about black history, 
they always say, well, black history is supposed to be the people of the United States. And today we know Hawaii is officially a part of the United States, the Hawaiian Islands. Um, Dr. Kaba Kamene has a wonderful documentary on um, on this king here. Um, so it says here, um, Kamehameha the Great was the conqueror and first ruler of the kingdom of Hawaii. The state of Hawaii uh, gave a statue of him. Here's the statue. You'll see a Europeanized version of his statue. Um, somebody made. And uh, conqueror, first ruler of Hawaii. Um, national uh, statuary hall collection in Washington, D.C. as one of two statues it is entitled to install there. Okay. So why? Why him? Well, because at the time when they thought, you know, black people were just slaves, you go to this island and you get this black man who's running a kingdom. At the same time, America is being formed and created. So again, they omit the power of black people and replace it with the struggle. So that's why I say Black History Month could be good because you get lectures like the one you're listening to now. Okay. Um, let's go to the next name. Another name that they love to hide is right here. And Uncle Hotep tells a story about how he goes to the National History of Black uh, History or something like that in D.C. And, um, you know, he, he mentions walking in and you see the slave whip and you see the chains and you see MLK and MLK has got this huge thing. And then when you look at Marcus Garvey, he's got like a nameplate all the way down at the bottom where, you know, history has to mention him. But let's hide him down at the bottom to minimize his contributions to black history. And um, obviously, we know he ran the UNIA. And uh, he was uh, he was the opponent to uh, the light skinned white supremacist, if we're using that term. Um, W.E.B. Dubois, W.E.B. Dubois uh, has him, it basically snitches to the man and has him extradited. But it comes back to my premise before where I was talking about self-organization. So W.E.B. Dubois is talking about integration. He's talking about assimilation and black people being more like white people. And Marcus Garvey is saying we can build our own. OK. Um, yes. Also uh, a Jamaican man. Um, hold, let me catch up on the chat. Drifting gold. You see that, right? Um you're telling me the most legendary move, uh, movie in anime history was named after a black man? That's exactly what I'm telling you. Somebody said Polynesian, not black. That's Brian Nichols. He's our um, in-house insecure white man. Um, okay, let's continue. Um, so we have Marcus Garvey, right? Uh, next one that mo most people might not know about is Noble Drew Ali. 
founder of the Morris Science Temple. Without him, I think, um, and again, Newark, New Jersey, shout out to my Jersey heads. But um, he's the one that starts the Morris Science Temple. And without him, I think, um, you know, uh, we lose much as far as black intelligentsia is concerned. He has great contributions. And he also comes about around the time of um, Marcus Garvey, if I'm not mistaken. Garvey is 87 and he's born in 86. Garvey dies in 1940. He dies in 1929. So he lived to the age of 43, right? So he got Noble Drew Ali. So another um, person who advocating for the building of your own, your own movements, that is often hidden from us. Um, Tari says Polynesian and Aboriginals are just as black. Tari, don't 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 argue with these. People. I don't I don't argue with people like that. They just you know they they, they just retarded. <laughs> they just retarded. <laughs> Can't argue with retarded people because <laughs> they're gonna beat you every time. Because now you're on a battlefield of retarded. Let's go to the next name. Um, Does he not have a wiki? Damn. Wait. What? I was about to say it's there it is. There we go. Okay. I was about to say. He better have a wiki. John Henry Clark. John Henry Clark, in fact, I think the best place to begin studying him is um, John Henrik Clark uh, Mary Leftowitz and Mary Leftowitz was the Jew that they always trotted out to um, debate black intelligentsia okay and this debate right here, as you can see, I'm like 42 minutes into it. I watch this maybe once every two or three years. Phenomenal debate. Um, this was in 1996 between John Henry Clark and Mary Leftowitz. Um, even the, the moderator was quite impressive. Um, you know, when you watch that, you start to see uh, the greatness of black intellect. Okay, so. If you haven't watched that, start right here and then dive into John Henry Clark's work. And there's a bunch of lectures that exist. Um, John Henry Clark on religion. John Henry Clark, as you can see, this is watched. All these are usually watched. Uh, the Coming of Europe. So phenomenal, phenomenal historian. Okay. Um, How Jesus Was Invented by John Henry Clark. Phenomenal lecture. Now, the next name I'm going to give you is very controversial, but has to be has to be talked about. OK, and we're going to type in. Tony Martin, let's see here if we can find him. Mm, anybody know Tony Martin? Here we go. So here's Tony Martin. OK, now. Tony Martin is a interesting figure, and I'll show you right here. 
And um, what he does is he starts to put the the transatlantic slave trade into focus. And he says, among the subjects that Martin pursued was the place of Jews in the Atlantic slave trade. During the 1990s, he came under public criticism for encouraging his students to read The Secret Relationship Between Blacks and Jews, a book compiled by the Nation of Islam, uh, which was widely regarded as anti-Semitic. So, uh, and he also debated Mary Leftowitz. In fact, took her to court. Okay. So there was always this desire to limit the power of these great minds. Now, I like Tony Martin because he didn't come off as an anti-Semite. Instead, he came off as uh, a historian, a rather profound historian. And um, what people try to say is they try to say that, um, they try to say, um, so here's uh, Tony Martin on Marcus Garvey. Uh, here's Tony Martin, the true reason communists hated Marcus Garvey. Let's take a listen to this. The Communist Party of the USA. Let's let's pull this up. Let's just see what he says about communists. Yeah. The Communist Party of the USA was founded in 1919, right around the same time that Garvey was really taking off. 1919 was the year that Garvey started the, the Black Star Line, Steamship Corporation. And communists, naturally, you know, their whole thing was organizing the working class and the peasantry. And these were the people who were in Garvey's movement. And there was no way that the Communist Party could get at the black masses without dealing with Garvey. And so they saw Garvey as an obstacle in their path, you know, um, to getting to the black masses. And they tried all kinds of things. They, they tried to get friendly with Garvey. They tried to attack him. They tried to infiltrate his movement. But nothing worked. Garvey didn't have a sort of a right-wing type anti-communist, you know, thing. But he was very, very strong on one point, namely that black people should control their own organizations. So Garvey didn't care if you were coming from the left or the right. He wasn't going to let you take over his organization. Okay. Let's go back. Let's go back. What did I say at the beginning of the stream? Show you right here. DEI is the destruction of black self-organization. Hotep, you're a genius. Hotepjesus.com. That's, that's what I'm talking about. One true ice man said, I've noticed that the white dudes in the chat don't like when Hotep gives these lectures. They'll disagree in the comments, but will never call in to assert their position. Yeah. I mean, we got a lot of great white guys here, but there's always that one who feels unsettled when they are met with new information. But usually that's just cognitive dissonance. Um, I would like to call it just ignorance, right? Ignoring the facts and ignoring the fact that they haven't studied. John Henry Clark has uh, a famous quote that says, uh, the more you talk, the more you tell me what you have not read. Um, so here's Dr. Tony Martin on Jews in the Atlantic slave trade. And uh, I'm going to pick a random, I'm going to pick a random one here and a random time point. Let's just share maybe a couple of minutes of this lecture. There's no limit to what they would do. God said even thieves, there's honor even among thieves, but among the educational leaders, I'm 
the time. Apparently, nothing was true. Du Bois actually wrote secret letters to the uh, Secretary of State of this country. Again, so he said he was talking about Du Bois writing uh, secret letters to the Secretary of State. So again, Du Bois working with the so-called white man to take down Garvey. Um, let me go right here. Actually, this isn't even a lecture. Oh, God, that one's. Um, they probably took it down. Oh, here we go. This it. I know sometimes people. One of his predecessors. No, I don't want that. I don't want secondhand shit. What is this? But before I describe what happened, let Here me spend go. a this couple, one. a few minutes, summarizing the facts of Jewish involvement in the slave trade. What precisely was the nature of the Jewish involvement in the African slave trade? The Jewish involvement in the African slave trade begins as far as I can tell, long before the actual slave trade across the Atlantic itself. The transatlantic slave trade has its immediate origins around about 1441, when Portuguese sailors landed on the West African coast and kidnapped a few Africans, brought them back to Europe. Africans were brought back to Europe, to Portugal and to Spain as part of that particular trade for several years. Columbus, of course, arrived in the Americas in 1492, approximately half a century later. In 1502, the first Africans were brought to the Caribbean. The Caribbean is where the transatlantic slave trade begins, and many Americans don't know that. But for over 100 years before Africans were brought as slaves to this country, the United States of America, Africans were being brought across the Atlantic to the Caribbean, to places like Hispaniola, the island which today is shared by Haiti and the Dominican Republic and, and, and to other places as well. So, so um, everybody wants to talk about the transatlantic slave trade. This is who I learned about the transatlantic slave trade from. It seems to me that Jewish involvement then in that transatlantic slave trade precedes by many, many years, perhaps by a thousand years, the actual beginnings of the transatlantic slave trade. And let me explain. It seems to me that the most important theoretical underpinning for that transatlantic slave trade was what has come to be known in many quarters as the Hamitic myth. Some people call it the curse of Ham story. When the slave trade developed, beginning... Y'all know about the Hamitic myth? I'm sure some of you do. 1441 and for hundreds of years thereafter, people who prosecuted that, that trade story and for reasons that are unknown to me under the story quote he says Rab Rab is one of these sages he says Rab maintained that Ham had unmanned Noah so Ham according to this sage Savannah the Jew Savannah and according to Stedman the Jews were very often the most cruel of the slave owners they, they played a very prominent role in torturing slaves and so on uh, he has several little vignettes that he mentions in there in Boston were owned by Jews. I think there was something like 18 or something like that from this time. But suffice it to say that they were an important element in the Dutch West in a company which was the preeminent entity carrying on the slave trade in the early period. The Dutch West in a company was responsible for, 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 for importing you know, the earliest slaves to places like Brazil, to some parts of the Caribbean, 
um, either directly or indirectly, I think, to, to this country as well in, in, a, in a very early period in, in the 17th century. In many areas in the Americas, Jews were a dominant element in the slave trade. In Brazil, for example, in the 17th century, Jews were a dominant element in, in, the, in the slave trade. They owned a large number of the plantations. They were often very um, importantly positioned in other aspects, not necessarily the plantation aspects, but things like, say, the importation of slaves, things like the warehousing of slaves, things like the auctioning of slaves, things like the provisioning of slaves, things like manning slave ships, provisioning slave ships. In New England, for example, at the height of, of the um, Atlantic slave trade, rum became a major, uh, a major economic uh, uh, venture in, in New England, places like, like, like Providence, Rhode Island, places like uh, Boston and so on. Rum. And rum was a major factor in the slave trade because rum was one of the major items of trade, one of the major uh, items that you know, um, slave ships carried when they went to West Africa to trade and exchange for, for slaves and so on. And I believe that at one point all the rum distilleries in Boston were, were owned by Jews. I think there was something like 18 or something like that rum distilleries. So in all of these areas, both directly and in terms of ancillary um, industries feeding the slave trade, the Jews were, 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 were very, very important. Apart from Brazil, Jews were, were again dominant factors in many other parts of the area, for example in Curaçao. Curaçao, a Dutch island in, in the Caribbean, you know, um, the majority of folks involved in the slave trade in Curaçao were, were Jews. At one point in Suriname, which again was a Dutch colony right next to Brazil in South America, Jews were again a very important part of the slave trade in Suriname. There was an English soldier by the name of John Stedman who went to Suriname in the late 1700s as part of a, a mercenary force raised by the Dutch to try to fight against the maroon slaves. Those were the escaped slaves who established an independent existence in the interior and gave the slave regime a, a lot of trouble. And Stedman wrote a very fascinating book concerning his experiences in Suriname. And there are several references in, in, in uh, Stedman's book to the presence of, of, of Jewish slave owners and so on. There was one large plantation area in Suriname called Jew Savannah. Jew Savannah. And according to Stedman, the Jews were very often the most cruel of the slave owners. They, they played a very prominent role in torturing slaves and so on. Uh, he has several little vignettes that he mentions in there concerning the, the, the kind of uh, cruelties that were meted out to slaves by both Jewish men and women. There's one case he describes there of a maroon slave leader, a man called Jolicaire, French Jolicaire. Beautiful heart. Don't know where he got that name from, Jolicaire. But apparently Jolicaire, again, was a, a rebellious slave. He led a slave uprising. And, and on one occasion, apparently, the Maroons were fighting against, you know, some of these people from Jew Savannah. And according to Stedman, they captured a, a Jewish slave owner named Schuss. And apparently Schuss was the man that uh, Jolicaire, you know, the slave owner that Jolicaire had escaped from as a young boy. And Jolicaire remembered that this guy shows that apparently ravaged his mother and so on. And, um, and Stedman describes a very, very, very harsh, harsh uh, vengeance that was uh, wrought by Jolicaire on Schultz. He, uh, he flayed him, cut his skin off, then um, used his, his uh, skin to keep the powder dry, the powder for his cannon or whatever, and used his head to play football with. Uh, Jews were also very prominently uh, present in 
non-Dutch parts of the Caribbean, places like Barbados, places like Jamaica, St. Thomas, and many of the other islands as well. There's been a big debate that has arisen concerning you know, whether Jews were the dominant uh, element or not, or whether they were even an important element. But much of that discussion has taken place in the context of the United States of America. In the U.S., it may not be correct to say that slaves were as that Jews, sorry, were as dominant in the slave trade as they were in parts of, say, the Caribbean or Central America. Nevertheless, Jews were an important part of the slave trade in this country, in the U.S. of A. Anyway, in fact, in the U.S. of A., Jews apparently played a, a role in the slave trade that was greater than the numbers in the overall population would suggest. Just as in 1992, in 1992, a study done based on the Forbes magazine list of the richest people in America for 1992, a study based on that list discovered that something like 33% of the billionaires in the U.S. of A. were Jews based on the Forbes list of 1992 at a time when Jews claimed to be 2.5% of the United States population. So just as in 1992, they were overrepresented in the high echelons of this country, just so during the slave trade, even though their numbers may have been relatively small. And many of the people who have, who have, who have tried to, 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 to refute you know, the suggestion that Jews were prominently involved in the slave trade in this country, many of those people have put forward figures suggesting that Jews were only a very minute portion of the overall American population. Yes, they were a very small percentage of the American population, but that has nothing, that has nothing to do with their role in the slave trade, the importance of their role. Their role was much greater than their numbers in the overall population would suggest. Now, I didn't want to play that clip because, you know, I want to stir up trouble or, you know, I want to make Jews look bad. It's not, um, it's not, uh, my, my, my goal here. Um, my goal here is to take, um, the subject of Black History Month, which is often tied to black struggle and black slavery and provide you with uh, a professor, somebody who's done extensive research on this matter, so that you could round out your your view of this so-called struggle. Because what happens is, although I don't want to say Jews are bad people, I don't think that's the case here. But the issue is, when we're not allowed to talk about history we lose history when we can't talk and say, well, you know that the Dutch East Indian Company was majority owned by people who call themselves Jews. Oh, wait, we can't talk about that. Well, then how do we talk about the subject of slavery and race if we can't have these discussions? So then you get somebody like Tony Martin, who's pushed off into obscurity. You have somebody like John Henry Clark, who has said similar things and is basically retelling. Now, I don't want to talk about Jewish power. I want to illustrate white weakness. 
Hotep, you're a genius. Hotepjesus.com. I don't want to illustrate, don't say they're Khazars because they're not Khazars. You're a way, you are ahistorical when you use the term Khazars. I don't want to talk about Jewish power. I want to talk about white weakness. We can take the argument of, because, you know, some people are going to say Jews are not white and some people are going to say Jews are white. Whatever. I don't want to have that argument right now. It's too deep. Fact of the matter is they separate themselves into a different group. They are a different tribe. So if Jews were running the transatlantic safe trade from a corporate perspective, what were white people doing? Hotep, you're a genius. Hotepjesus.com. What was the white man doing? Obviously, he was the worker bee. He was the one putting in work. <laughs> so there was a cooperation between the Jew and the so-called white man, the so-called Jew and the so-called white man to subjugate people because the slave trade was not about just African people. We know that there are slave listings of various whites, Irish, so on and so forth, that were also sold. In fact, a white man sold for about a quarter of the price of a black man. And that's why I say you got to tell all of the history so we can begin to heal as a people. We can't run from black crime statistics and then run from Jew crime statistics, white crime statistics. We got to tell all of our crimes. We've got to bring it all into perspective. And the issue is, once that group is brought up, we now have to neutralize the orator of these historical facts. And in that, you eliminate black memory. You eliminate black history. Because if you can't tell all the history, you're not getting all of the picture. We're going to go to the phone lines. Text Hotep in your name at 202-596-5631. Text Hotep in your name at 202-596-5631. From our callers today, I want to hear from you. Is Black History Month a net positive or a net negative for black people? And is it a net positive, net negative for the nation of the United States of America? Let's go to let's go to the phone lines. I'll be right back after this short, brief commercial break. <laughs> 